welcome to the Eastside Movement Company podcast. I'm Dr. Anthony Arcido, co-owner of Eastside Movement Company. This podcast, we are going to discuss all things health and wellness, dispel common myths and misconceptions regarding healthcare, and we do it in a way you can actually understand. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is the Eastside Movement Podcast. I'm Dr. Anthony Rosito uh, of Eastside Movement Company, and we are here today with my friend as well as Coach Rachel Yeager. Um, so we're very excited to have her here today. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is episode two, right? Episode, or yeah. is it? officially episode three but it's okay. the real real episode it's two yeah because the first one was just <laughs> kind of an intro that we decided to not broadcast anybody so <laughs> well, my sports number is 23 so it's perfect I'm two yeah. and three <laughs> exactly exactly so super excited to have Rachel on she is in the like high level like ultimate community uh here in Austin uh as well as she coaches at multiple places uh and she also has a very unique and I think a good overlap with some of the stuff that we do here of how she coaches and that sort of stuff so we kind of wanted to get into a little bit of that today so what is kind of, so your background as well as like, how did you kind of get into coaching? That sort of thing. What's your, what's your story? I'll keep it medium length, but yeah, story is when I moved to Austin, Texas from uh, like the North Carolina area, I had always grown up playing sports, soccer, basketball, a little bit of ultimate right before I left um, North Carolina but I was kind of wanting a career change and always loved sports, always loved coaching, fitness, like always had, uh, you know, felt a pull in that realm and always participated in all those things. So once I got here, I was like, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. So <laughs> I started like looking up a few different certifications and took some classes at UT for some personal training certifications and different things like that. And that was in like 2012. So coming up on 10 years now of training. Um, since then, I've definitely gotten into the functional movement side, being certified with uh, FMS and like CFSC, so functional strength coach, um, being pretty involved in that um, belief system and style of training. And then also just with the sports background, like sprinting, cutting, um, I'd say conditioning, but that's the least I feel knowledgeable in because I'm all about sprinting, but and jumping, yeah. <laughs> but it's all connected. And then, yeah, so implementing that in Ultimate Frisbee, my soccer coaching and training, and then just finding a few gyms now, now that COVID's over and we're back into the swing of things a little bit. <laughs> Nice, nice. And how do you like kind of the the different like aspect of like, you know, kind of training, like especially like the regular population? Because um, I know at some places you'll train like just the average like Joe, some you'll do like endurance athletes, but then also like coaching, you know, adults and, you know, youth. How, how do those two things differ, especially with like the educational standpoint? And also what are kind of some of the aspects that you like of each? Yeah. I, so I definitely like to wear a lot of hats in from what I just said. I'm like coaching soccer, playing frisbee, 
coaching frisbee, doing fitness. So I like variety. So being able to coach, you know, general population, uh, older clients, younger clients, and then like athletes, whether that's adults or youth. Um, so the variety is something that I enjoy and it definitely is different um, in each realm. I'd say uh, general population stuff is pretty fun just because they, it's like easiest to make the most amount of change in their like movement probably. You know, it's pretty easy to fix, you know, not the best looking squad out there. Right. And then they're pretty stoked on it. And there's like, oh, wow, I never knew that <laughs> and stuff like that. So they're feeling good. Um, you're feeling good, like you're helping a bit. And then getting to the athletes, like you typically don't have that because most or a lot of athletes move pretty well on their own. Um, just since they've been moving since they were younger and moving on all different planes. And, um, you know, your body gets good at moving as you keep doing it and playing different sports. So that side's a little different because it's more like very small increases in speed or very small increases in power. Um, and then just staying healthy and then keeping them like motivated and accountable. Um, so different aspect there. And then kids and youth are kind of in the same realm almost as it's like a mix of the two because they don't move quite so well sometimes being younger and figuring it out and still growing. Um, but then they also are like a lot of times pretty competitive athletes and, you know, have to perform at pretty high levels and they perform a lot because kids don't take too much rest and they're playing, you know, lots of different sports throughout all the seasons and, you know, trying to be a multi-sport athlete, which I totally buy into uh, for sure and encourage that, but hard to get rest um, incorporated in that. So, Youth is kind of like getting them in the gym when you can, so they stay healthy, but then also letting them play their sport, all their sports. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And especially with all their sports, um, I tend to find that, you know, that people really, and maybe it's the parents more than the kids, or maybe the kids are involved in some of this decision-making as well, of specializing very early. Are you seeing that more and more? Uh, and do you feel like it's happening at a younger and younger age? Yeah, for sure. It's, I, I, if I were a parent, I could see how it definitely um, happens. Because, <laughs> I mean, I've seen some very good eight-year-old soccer players. And if you think about it, like, I, I think I'm pretty athletic, but I didn't even start playing soccer when I was eight. I was 10, which is like, you know, back in the day that wasn't so old. But now it's getting like a little old to not <laughs> play sports. So, um, you know their coaches are telling the parents like, Oh my gosh, they're so good. And you know, all this stuff. So if they're amazing at soccer and then they're like getting blocked in basketball or something, you know, it makes sense that their parents and them probably are leaning towards the sport they're better at and, you know, more fun to be good, obviously, but yeah, definitely seeing it. Um, it's a little tough because the research probably isn't quite there since we're kind of in that time frame right now like it's really popular right now so we're trying to tell people like it's not as beneficial as you think to just you know pick that sport at 10 because you you know some girls at 14 are getting like college offers to play some sports because it's a little harder to find girl athletes and female athletes and stuff um but there are definitely some research out there for sure about a lot of the pro athletes out there playing multiple sports, especially throughout their like 
middle school, early high school age. Um, you know, if you're good at one sport and really good at it, there's a high chance you're good at a lot of sports too. So <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> right. Getting different movement is like so clutch, you know, one sport is going to be more side to side, one sport potentially more forwards, backwards, and they will just play into each other very well. Yeah. And I, I also heard um, too, that the ability to learn different movements and learn in different environments is really helped a lot by doing different sports because they said essentially if a person just does one sport over and over they become very good at one specific thing and then when they get outside of that specific thing they really struggle and I have to imagine like going from youth soccer to either high school soccer or college soccer or even like pro to semi-pro you're probably asked to do very different things like again I'm not you should, you don't even want to see me play soccer. It's so bad. Uh, <laughs> Maybe on the other team, I want to see you out there. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Tripping over the ball. Uh, <laughs> um, but I can imagine like there's just very, there's very different things that are asked of you at different levels. more or less. Yeah. Not to be a broken record, but definitely mm -hmm. agree with all that. And you know, even seeing it in adults who are now like maybe retired athletes or not quite playing anything particular, but like grew up pretty athletic versus the ones who didn't play any sports, you know, just even simple things in the gym, like a simple ladder or any like lateral shuffle or skipping patterns, patterns that we use to like be good at sprinting. Um, a lot of those are lacking and just going to get harder with age <laughs> yeah 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 and I, I wonder too with uh your your favorite exercises and your client's least favorite bear crawls if that is probably some of that too right they don't know how to move in that pattern like i've read a lot of stuff where people that have trouble sprinting and running can't really crawl very well uh which is kind of interesting yeah. Yes, my clients, they hate it. Um, I don't think I've met someone yet who loves them, I guess, besides myself. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a, a pattern, which is something we need for sprinting. It's you know, core control, um, lots of the opposite hand and arm movement situations. And yeah, so when people first come in, I'm like, okay, let's get crawling. And they're like, what? why, why would we want to do that? Like we never do anything in crawling. And I'm like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what you do, what you don't normally do. <laughs> right, right. I, I remember talking to a person uh, and I was like, uh, you know, this pad, like crawling is good for, you know, a lot of other things. Like, well, I never crawl. It's like, but you walk. And they're like, well, I guess I walk. I'm like, well, you walked in here. It's not like formally walking. Like you walk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I hope you walk, yes. <laughs> yeah, I hope, I hope you are walking somewhere. <laughs> so you have a lot of background in FMS, that sort of thing. And I know you, we had talked a little bit about like Mike Boyle uh, and his method. So what kind of drew you to that type of, because there's, the training world is just so massive of all the things people do, like. I feel like the hot thing now is like knees over toes guy. Like, yeah, I feel like that's, I hear, I hear about that guy everywhere now. Um, but <laughs> but it's not saying he's doing anything bad, right? He's probably has some really great stuff in there, but you know, it's just another thing in there. Right. So what, what kind of drew you to FMS in kind of going more toward like some of the Mike Boyle stuff and, and is Mike Boyle related to FMS? I can't remember. They're like unofficially related. They both encourage each other's certifications and they both give like 
you know, if you have one, they'll be like, we'll give you, you know, a percentage off to take the other one because they believe in each other's methods and um, have definitely like spoken at each other's gyms. And then the Mike Bowles gym uses FMS as a screen for all of their like personal training clients and like athletes and stuff. I'm not sure if they test every single person who's walking through the door, but um, they definitely like to have a standard of testing to make sure people are moving better. And, um, but yeah, so what drew me to it, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like I found a lot of it because of social media. Like I was getting into training, like right around when social media was getting popular and just, you know, being able to learn a lot from like blogs online and like, you know, podcasts weren't quite there, but they were starting to get going with that stuff too. Um, and just like kind of the simplicity of it. Um, but you know, I mean, it's has functional in the name (laughs) and so, you know, that's a hot word that can easily like sound safe and sound, um, something that I just was like, Oh, well, why would I want to like do CrossFit, which I've seen some real crazy things happen and some real bad injuries happen, when, you know, these gyms are claiming to be functional and all about safety first, like risk versus reward. Like we can do a really high box jump, but is, is it worth it kind of a style? Yeah. Um, so I kind of really got into that because after doing some things like some bar deadlifts or some barbell back squats, you know, I never got like majorly hurt, but I definitely had like a bit of a swollen back like one time and just some things that you know and just because I lifted a little bit heavier than I did uh, you know a few weeks back and was like I feel all right and just was visibly a little swollen like in my low back which kind of pushed me to be a little bit like oh well like oh no (laughs) just paying attention to stuff and they're like well you could potentially deadlift this way maybe with dumbbells and feel a lot safer and then after trying out a lot of the methods I was like oh yeah I I believe like a bunch of this stuff so (laughs) kind of that realm and um yeah they just preach a lot of stuff like consistency um definitely which I combine to you know, trying to get in to workouts three times a week and you can have a whole program and you can have a goal to like lift 200 pounds by this date and whatever. But as long as you're coming in, you know, three times a week Mm -hmm. and doing your 45 minutes to an hour, like consistency is going to be like your number one best friend. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Consistency is king. Like it is just like the biggest thing like people can do is just show up you know, daily or weekly or whatever, in in, you'll see so many more gains. Uh, I was listening to a podcast where they just kind of interview like high level athletes. And essentially the biggest thing they say is that this, all this was developed over years. Like you see the outcome, like either during a game or during a race or that sort of thing, but it's years of day in and day out, like training. And I feel like a lot of people miss that, like, especially the general population or people that are like, Hey, I want to do this high level thing, but I don't want to put the time in more or less. And it's, it's like your body has to have time to adapt and has to be stimulated properly, um, more or less to, to be able to do that. Yeah, Um, I definitely agree. 
and it's, it's interesting too, where you said like, you know, with like kind of the back spine stuff, you felt like a swollen back. I feel like it's so hard, like in our worlds to almost like decide on like where we want to go with like how we, you know, treat or prescribe exercises or that sort of thing. Cause there's just so much, like so much available to us that like, it's almost like experimentation in a way, like see how this works. Okay. Like this makes sense. This works well with certain people. Okay. Now what else works with, you know, the other side of things, right? Exactly. And that's their thing. Like they typically don't back squat because there's like maybe a handful of people who look really good back squatting. So sure they can back squat, but then it's like, Mm -hmm. you're not going to program a workout for the 10% that happened to look really well doing it. Um, So not against it fully, but Mm -hmm. a little hard to look like perfect doing all those things. But, um, but yeah, so not quite dead, like barbell deadlifting, but definitely like trap bar deadlifts just makes it a little easier. Um, now I get that low back feeling that I had <laughs> yeah. and then definitely like goblet squats, front squats. Um, but overall single leg fan, as you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. And, it, and is that big in FMS or did you find more of the single leg kind of unilateral stuff more from like, Hey, I coach a lot of team sports athletes, that sort of thing. And that's more of what they need or a little bit of both. Probably a little bit of both for sure. I think just like once it, um, you know, Mike Boyle definitely talks about it a bunch nowadays and brings it up in their certifications and whatnot. Um, but it just makes sense from like an athletic standpoint and from like general population. I mean, we do so much on one leg without noticing, like getting in and out of your car and you're walking up your steps and like walking down your steps, um, all that stuff. So it's like, think about how often are you on two legs? Like you're typically standing at a stove or pumping some gas like otherwise you're a lot of times on one leg um unless you have standing desk which is also cool but that's a lot of standing you're not like squatting in the air (laughs) holding these (laughs) things but you often have to like go up a really big stair and might be holding groceries or you know so it just kind of clicked and I was like wow yeah (laughs) one leg like (laughs) And as I know some athletes like volleyball players will be jumping off of two legs sometimes, but most of the other sports are a lot of single leg jumps and um, landing on two legs just for safety. A lot of times, sometimes, but taking off um, can get some pretty good height with just a single leg jump on a lot of athletes. So. Yeah, no. uh, And I think too, with even like you said, like with standing, like people end up leaning into one side anyway. So it almost becomes like a unilateral activity. <laughs> <laughs> True. As you taught me. <laughs> yeah, lean. Yeah, in, in with kind of your mindset, maybe even view of like some of your training with, you know, more of your team sport athletes versus you're running in endurance athletes. Is there... A lot of overlap between the two of them is there not a lot of overlap between the two of them compare and contrast I guess the two more or less mm-hmm. yeah definitely I feel like is a topic that like kind of changes a little bit um in the last few years or maybe people are just thinking about it a lot more um but endurance athletes already pretty much know how to push themselves you know in a a tough way and love to push themselves a lot of times 
Um, so a lot of times my number one goal with endurance athletes is like injury prevention for sure, which mm -hmm. is true for a lot of athletes and most athletes, but the endurance athletes are getting a lot of pounding on their bodies as far as if they're running, um, you know, if you're cycling a lot of the same motion for long periods of time. Um, so just getting them in the gym and then they're also burning lots of calories, um, getting them in the gym to get some strength around all those body parts and joints and muscles and tendons and just keeping them strong because, um, you know, body type can certainly be all across the board, but there's a lot of like lean endurance athletes and just making sure they're staying pretty strong um, and not overdoing it. Cause they'll be like, Oh, thanks for this workout. And I'm going to run 15 miles. And then the next day I'm going to, and over the weekend I'll cycle and run. And then <laughs> yep, yep. I'm like, okay, well. <laughs> we'll see, but no, um, definitely the program I'd say in the gym isn't like too different as far as what we're going to lift and do, but I wouldn't, I don't program too much more conditioning for those endurance athletes. Um, whereas if, uh, you know, a soccer player or well, maybe more so a frisbee player, um, some other sprinters, football, basketball, um, you know, they want to get faster, um, jump higher, so we're definitely looking to get a pretty good base of muscle. And once they have that, you know, don't want to go too far as far as like Olympic lifting or things like that, as far as putting on tons and tons of weight on the muscle end to stay fast, but um, they want to get faster. The only way to really get faster as far as sprinting is to sprint. So yeah. definitely programming <laughs> a fair amount of sprinting but then making it very different than conditioning, which is like where it gets tough, I think, for a lot of athletes because even sprinting athletes are like, well, I should do more and I should push and get faster, but you can only really work on your speed for so many reps before you're going to get gassed out. Yeah. Um, and you're kind of really more on that conditioning realm. So yeah. playing in between those two can be um, pretty something fun to like play with and everyone's obviously different, but. Yeah. And I think with you, what you said about the endurance athletes that has changed so much over the last like four to five years of getting into the gym, getting stronger, like can help you run faster, can help you cycle faster and also like prevent injuries. Right. And that's, but what you said is the hardest thing to convince a runner or a cyclist to do is get off their bike or stop running for a day, maybe even two days uh, maybe even three days and <laughs> ah, lift in the gym yeah. and not run again later because I, for lack of a better word, they run themselves into the ground, you know, more or less. Uh, it's just, they overwork their body. They never let their body recover. And, and uh, it just gets to the point where things start breaking down because they're not getting rest. They're not getting, you know, enough nutrition. And it's just this like kind of vicious cycle of things. It's almost like they're okay with doing with lifting more just as long as they don't have to stop running as much <laughs> right they would do anything probably yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, oh yeah cool i'll lift like you said i'll lift and then i'll run 15 miles later or it's like i'll lift and then i'll yeah. do a bike workout later like i'll be fine <laughs> for sure sprinter sprinters can be the same in that like you know after a practice you're like well i don't feel too bad so like maybe i'll run a couple 20s or a couple 40s 
um, at the end of my practice because I feel like I should feel more tired. And, you know, that's, I think, where a lot of the injuries will pop in for um, sprinters and stuff is what I see in like teammates. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like the train fresh or sprint fresh. So definitely like doing your warm up, doing your skip patterns, doing some jumps, <clears throat> keeping everything pretty low rep, get like, you know, two, three rounds of really low rep sprints, like 80 yards max, basically not 180 yards, but like a 10 yard, a five yard fly in like two times rest for like three minutes, <laughs> uh, lots of rest to keep up that speed. And then, you know, that's it. And they're like, that's it. <laughs> and you're like, yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that can be the tough part for sprinters as far as not doing it tired, not doing it sore, not, you know, pushing yourself and like racing the whole team kind of a thing, like really making it your workout, <laughs> doing your few reps. And then that's all you need a couple times a week. And is that what you think can cause maybe not most injuries, but a good amount of injuries for team sports athletes is, is working basically past the point of where their body's already fatigued or is it, yeah, I guess, I guess, what do you find is, is some things that like team sports athletes can do to prevent injuries more or less now, obviously like it's not going to prevent every, every injury, but you know, this, the low hanging fruit more. Right. Right. For sure. Yeah. I'd say in, so, you know, ultimate big on my brain since I'm kind of in that um, season right now playing a little bit, um, you know, the most injuries as far as sprints happening when you're doing uh, over 20 yards and everyone loves to do a 40 yard sprint because yeah. that's what they do in football. Um, not saying that 40 yards are bad, but it's yeah. just more that's scientifically more likely is when you're going to get hurt um, really? over 20 yard yeah yeah i just listened to a podcast pretty recently with mike boyle about like football speed and he was showing some research on that um and then yeah not doing it at all like if your hamstrings are sore your hip flexors are sore which yeah it can be like hard not to feel those things like in the amount we're playing and lifting especially now getting back into things with covid so really listening to your body because it's just not going to go too well, even if you're feeling that little tiny pull. <laughs> um, so trying to avoid all that. Um, another thing that they've really found is like they, you know, competition is great. And obviously we love competition and we play sports for that reason a lot of times. Um, but as far as like sprinting goes, um, really keeping the competition to timing yourself uh, if you want to get faster, like make sure you're timing your sprints. And then if you're doing like a big team sprint day, like trying to keep it um, not like racing, you know, Rachel versus Rebecca and keep it like Rachel's time versus Rachel's time. And then Rebecca versus her time. Cause that's not that you don't want people to push themselves, but in practices you'll tend to be like, I don't want to lose. Like I'm really going to go for this one. And just that like little overstretch or that little, you know, too far <laughs> tends to cause more injuries yeah. uh, than they kind of thought. And they've been like studying that. And I was like, wow, I can see how that would happen though. Cause like we're competitive and you want to sprint your fastest and you still will. Cause it's your time and you want to beat your time. But 
something a little different when you're going up against a teammate or something, especially if it's like the end of practice. <laughs> and I feel like growing up, that's when those competitions always happened was the end of practice. Like you're sitting around and you're waiting to go. And then you decide to like do something stupid with your friends. Yeah, Your family didn't pick you up yet. And they're like, oh, I'm the fastest on the team for sure. You're already off. You're like, well, we got a race now. So <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really good. And I did not know that about more than 20 yards with the sprinting. That's, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, uh, but you just don't think about it often. And who knows, right. there's, there's probably research behind whatever, for whatever reason they came up with the 40 yard dash or maybe there isn't but yeah like the yeah. 40 yard dash just gets stuck in people's heads as like well this is a metric that is widely known so we should run that far right supposedly from the thing i just listened to it's because when they do a punt like back when someone did research whoever invented this they were like mm -hmm. okay the people playing defense after the punt are running about 40 yards to get to the other person mm -hmm. but like so many few players actually like play that position, but they yeah. stuck with that 40. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, that's, that's really fascinating too. Cause like I have to imagine punting has probably gotten better too over the years. So should they be doing like a 60 yard sprint now or like, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nothing wrong with the 40 yard sprint is not yeah. necessarily what we're like pushing, but mm -hmm. you know, risk versus reward again how many you're doing how many total yards you're pushing yourself um things like that it's definitely a good way if you have a coach for them to like see how you run once you're like con conditioned enough for that that amount of yardage speed wise um you know see how, what your mechanics look like and get some top end speed which is always important too but yeah you know and I like what you said too, not everybody has to do that, right? Like that's not part of their sport. And that's the other thing too, probably to think about, I have to imagine is what is specific to what you're doing on the field, right? Are you someone right. that runs 40 yards on the field or are you somebody that is working in a smaller area and like moving quickly side to side? Maybe that's something more that you would want to practice, et cetera. Right, yeah. Definitely getting into the like, stopping decelerating cutting vibes too yeah <laughs> and do you feel like uh building into deceleration like uh in cutting is also a good thing for people to do because i know they said that decelerating can be a really big oftentimes like acls can be torn during deceleration right or um, hamstring strains that sort of thing so just a lot of injuries happen during deceleration is that something that people should also think about like building into over time or uh, is it kind of built in just with working on sprinting yeah I would say deceleration is um, one that that's where the gym work can definitely help you because mm -hmm. um, obviously we want to be strong to a certain point to be able to sprint and put force into the ground and get your angles and get your speed going and you know same to say for deceleration but you know being very strong hitting the gym working on your eccentrics and isometrics and things like that can definitely help I think with deceleration and not getting so many injuries um, even things like when you're working on your plyos and you're jumping whether that's double leg single leg some lateral movements like being able to get that stick and that um you know, owning it and stopping and controlling it on like one leg versus just going too speedy and not really sticking that landing. 
Um, so I like to even incorporate those at the gym for sure. Encouraging folks to always stick it, own it for a really long time, get through that phase of quite a few phases for a few weeks, and then kind of adding in more speed um, into the piles too. But, but anyway, so yeah, so being strong in those um, other muscle phases can definitely help, I think, with um, deceleration. And I would really? say like early sprint training, like, you know, if we're doing 10 yards, we're not like stopping on the line the first few phases, probably, you know, kind of building up to getting the deceleration and being strong. Yeah, no, and I, I really like how you said owning the the movement or owning that position. Uh, that seems to be something that, especially going back to endurance athletes, and I have to imagine too, with team sports athletes, people want to kind of blow through some of like, just kind of do it quickly, you know, and right. not really actually get that like muscle to activate in those planes, right? They're just kind of like almost just quickly moving through it and they ne- that body never like connects to the brain more or less. So people should really think about that when they're doing their strength training or their conditioning. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I think I say that that cue maybe more than any other <laughs> for whatever reason even if you're like you're gonna do five each leg and you're gonna stick the landing for each rep and it's just like boing 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 yeah <laughs> they love to do it you know it's fun to be bouncy but yeah <laughs> right. um yeah it makes a huge difference for people and and again that like mind muscle connection becomes so much deeper and you actually utilize that muscle a little bit more so yeah that's definitely something that i'm gonna start adding into my uh, vocabulary when, when describing some of these movements, because I think that really speaks to me. And I think we'll speak to more people is, is owning that position, really knowing it, really understanding what you should be doing there. Yeah. Love it. So you are, are you, are you the head of torch? Are you (laughs) in charge of it all? Are you, are you, are you? uh, Yeah. So Austin torch is the uh, women's semi-pro ultimate Frisbee team that we started here in 2018. Um, And there is a league premier ultimate league and there is 12 teams. Typically I think this kind of shorter season we're doing there's going to be 10 teams but yeah we've gotten to go to places like raleigh and new york and we've had nashville atlanta come to us we've been to atlanta um so yeah there's teams all over the place so definitely check it out but yeah so austin torch i am one of three co-presidents okay and we call ourselves that we tried to think of like a better name and we were trying to come up with things but in the end you know guess they use president for a reason <laughs> um, <laughs> in the world so co-owner didn't fit because we are a nonprofit. Yeah. And, um so we just the three of us myself um another player named dre and then a gentleman mr bonesaw is his name <laughs> <laughs> and the three of us we yeah just work together to get all the duties spread out whether that's booking flights or you know running social media getting jerseys renting stadiums renting practice fields um, scheduling with the team um, hiring coaches Um, yeah lots of duties for sure but between the three of us it usually splits out pretty well and we've had some good practice doing it in a short amount of time and then a couple of years where we've had a lot of time and now 
COVID year 2020, we obviously had tons of time to kind of work on it, although that made it even harder because there was just obviously so much uncertainty. Um, but coming back with a kind of like regional tournament, three regional tournaments that the league is hosting, we are going to Portland, Maine, which is maybe about as far away as you can get from Texas, but yeah, <laughs> They're super stoked to, they were the first like um, women's sport thing really ever in Portland, Maine, I think. So they are very super excited to get going and to host and to have us come. And then Columbia um, Revolution is coming. Really? Yeah. They are one of the best teams in the world. They've, uh, they have a club team and now they have a pro team. Pro Revolution is, um, going to be playing in the PUL as they've played in the past. Um, they won the inaugural season, but they've been a team for a long time. And we were like, well, we might as well have the best team around involved in our league. So yeah, so they've been, it'll be the three of us in Portland competing. And yeah, it's going to be a mini tournament, two, three games, which isn't typical of our semi-pro style. We usually do like one game a weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but that's okay. Cause it's all we're, all we're going to get this season and then kind of get get our views and stuff and our attention back a little bit um, on the sport and then other like social justice things that we as a team and organization want to work on as well. And then come back in for 2022. I almost said 2021 because that's where my brain is at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does feel like uh, it just, you put a pause on 2020 and then, then 2021 is next year. So how many, how long is your season typically? When does it? Yeah, yeah. We usually have some tryouts starting to buzz about um, end of January or mid-February. And then just getting some mini camps and practices and some weeknight stuff practices as well. Um, for you know the rest of February, March and April. And then usually around like the first week of May we're may june and july we're doing regular season and then we've had a like uh championship weekend type of thing as well so yeah so it's about two two three months of practices and tryouts and then another two three months of seasons season yeah (laughs) i feel like seasons i'm sure like some years (laughs) <laughs> that was a slip up because then a lot of people play club ultimate which uh, yeah. immediately after you're done with pro ultimate Wow! and club is a little harder on your body because you're going tournaments where you're playing uh anywhere from like five to seven games in a weekend um a lot of people who are trackers and things basically have ran a marathon in their miles but are sprinting majority of the time that you're on the field so it is a thing that I would love to change which is one thing about why I got involved in pro just the idea of being able to play a game like you know not just throwing it at you because you know we had to fly to a tournament for club season so they want to make it worth your time and money but in the end, we're all kind of getting hurt. <laughs> do you, do you yeah. tend to see less injuries with that, um, with the pro-like schedule versus the club schedule? Yeah, I'd say it can be a little split because in pro, you know, people are watching you. It's being filmed. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we get a lot of our games on like YouTube uh, live and stuff. And um, so definitely you have that fan energy and your family's there whatnot. So you probably like might put yourself in positions and a little more energy, uh, a little more like laying out bids, jumping big air, you know, so things can happen. Like I would say it's more like rare injuries, like landing wrong in a layout. So it's like wrists, shoulders, things like that. I've definitely seen happen. And then in tournament style with USA ultimate, I would say injury tends to be a bit more overuse and hamstring ACL hip flexor, stuff like that. So yeah, you know, injuries are always a thing no matter how hard we try, but just a different type, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. We, I was just at a tournament this weekend. Everybody had like sore hamstrings because it was like sick. If you played the whole thing, it was like seven games in like two days. And exactly. so, yeah, the hamstrings are just like, you know, hamstrings, quads. Again, it's just those overuse sort of, sort of things. And yeah, it's like, as well. Right. Not a great way to train for it. Cause again, you're trying to keep up that speed and all that. Like we said, you're training the speed and it's, you know, a little impossible to do it for that many games. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Even absolutely. Fun, but. Um, and if people want to support Torch, what is the best way to do that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, this Thank season's you. definitely very different. Um, since no home games and all that, but we definitely have like Instagram and Twitter and we're always trying to be a little more active in that in the coming months since we're about to get playing. So we'll be sharing some more things, but definitely follow us on there. It's just like either ATX Torch or Austin Torch and we will post whenever our game in Portland, Maine is going to be mid-August, I think. I should have the date, but I don't. <laughs> um, but they will be on YouTube or, yeah, should be on YouTube for streaming and, you know, just getting people watching it, seeing it, hearing about it. Um, and then, yeah, our website, atxtorch.com. Definitely check it out. We do some, trying to do some maybe clinics and clinics for girls and stuff maybe in the fall um once some things settle down with our season and then so yeah so if anyone's interested in playing or watching or being involved in any way we're always definitely like a community funded team so we love to just hear from folks and just get the sport out a little more and where and if people wanted to seek you out to like train with you where where are you at I know you're at a few places (laughs) yes my many hats again Um, yeah I am at a few gyms right now so one is infinite fitness and that's kind of in the um, Shoal Creek Anderson area small group training and some personal training um really cool spot love it and then we have crux climbing gym I just coached two classes over there um early mornings Monday Wednesday um but they have two locations now so definitely lots of fun things to check out over there I'm at that central location though and then I've just started kind of subbing at Dane's Body Shop which has been around Austin I think for about 10 years I think they're gonna have a 10-year anniversary party soon um or actually it might even longer I think but yeah I interned there when I first moved here and started getting into certifications and the UT thing that I did you had to have Mm -hmm. a internship so I interned over there ironically and now my 
partner works out there and then it just kind of so happened they were looking for coaches this summer and it was like I've known you all forever like let's do it (laughs) so yeah Dane's Body Shop and yeah so those are the three main spots that you'll see me as far as gym stuff and yeah frisbee field or soccer field otherwise (laughs) yeah Instagram as well trainer easy yeah had that rhyme (laughs) 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 but yes those are the the main spots I think that was our first uh I think that's how we first met each other was in well you don't really meet on Instagram but I feel like that's our first communication was Instagram yeah that's also how I like met with infinite fitness as well yeah just like find people that were like oh we like a lot of the same or have the same beliefs and yada yada and then it just turned into me working over there so yeah (laughs) Instagram doing some good things for sure it does it does it's a great it's a great connector for sure well thank you so much Rachel we really really we I really appreciate you coming on um and everybody should definitely uh check out your Instagram uh help support torch any way possible Uh, I know you guys sell some shirts um and they're pretty sweet and so go there buy a shirt follow Rachel follow torch go check her out at her classes she's really awesome um but yeah thanks again you are welcome. Thank you so much for having me. My first like fitness official podcast. So I'm in the club now. I know. <laughs> I know. Right. Um, <laughs> all righty. Well, thanks again. And uh, we'll talk soon. Perfect. See you later. Before we go, I wanted to thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to help support the podcast, take a screenshot and tag us on Instagram at Eastside Movement Co. To stay up to date on all the latest from us, sign up for our newsletter on our website, eastsidemovement.com, or give us a follow on Instagram at eastsidemovementco. Thank you again for listening. Mm-hmm.